Welcome back to another episode of the Working Audio Tools podcast, the audio mixing podcast where we interview industry professionals, pick their brains about what makes them tick, how they've become professional, uh, and many other intriguing things along the way. We also compare and constructively critique each other's mixes as well. But today we've got a slightly different episode where we're going to be giving you some of our disaster stories in the music industry. We're going to touch on studio stuff. I'll probably touch on live sound stuff, and no doubt Paul has one or two up his sleeve as well. Paul, I think you should go first. Right, so if we were to talk about kind of stories that I've had that haven't went so well, I suppose the very first time that I had like my first proper experience of like professional audio, and I was really excited about it, and long story short, there was a TV program that was getting made in, in Dundee, which is where I'm from, and the college that I was at, they got asked if they could, you know, provide any like students that would be willing, you know, like have a crack at it and just provide some assistance. So I went in thinking, yeah, so this will be great experience. Didn't know what I was going to be into. Got in and the guy that was running the whole thing was an absolute arsehole. Straight away, I was like, oh, no, nah, this is this is not going to end well. They had like a live set up and they had like a, a bit of couch for, you know, like where they were going to be doing the main interviews and this kind of live setup for a band to play. So he's just kind of came to us and said, right, you and you, those cables into that stage box. It goes, that's like the order that they're all going in. Job done, walked away. Now, because I'm autistic, uh, (laughs) I need things to be very, very, very simple and like laid out and very literal. So I remember looking at this thing going, Jesus Christ. Like, So I was at the stage box and I was like, Got all the mics connected. I was like, there's the fucking the, 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 the singers, there's the amp, there's the bass, blah, blah, blah. Connected everything. And then I remember sitting back going, well, what, what do I do now? What I didn't know was that we, we had a big atrium, still do, and they had the live console oh, no. at, the, at, at this atrium. And I remember looking at this going, how am I going to get all these fucking cables all the way up to this atrium? Basically, it went round, like down, around, and then up all the way. So the ca- these cables were like dangling all the way down. And I didn't know any of this. So I basically just like connected everything to this like stage box and thought that was me done. And he came back, he was like, well, where's the rest of them? Like, where's the rest of the fucking cables? And I'm like, you told me to connect the cables to the stage box. There it is there. He's like, fuck, you've got to get the cables to the console, you idiot. And I was like, okay, he's just called me an idiot. Okay, this isn't going well. And then me being me, like, see, I don't, Ed's different from me because we've had many conversations about this. See, when I get in a panic, that's me done. (laughs) That's me fucked. I'm done. Like, that's me done. I'm finished. When I get in a panic, I just revert to craziness and madness and I just kind of like, like melt. So I think the guy kind of like knew that I was like struggling, but thankfully the, the other guy in my class that went, he was all good with that stuff. Probably he was pretty smug at the time, being like, oh, look at me for fixing these guys' problems. But he managed to do it all, got it round. I remember I got a notepad and I was just jotting down where everything went because we were going to have to do it again the next week. So I jotted everything down, made myself a diagram. I was like, that goes to there, that goes there, this goes here, this goes into the console here, or this, because he wanted um, everything to go in the console a certain way. So it was like, right, kick, snare, hat, blah, 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 blah. And then he had... I think the lav mic's on a different part of the console. I just remember the first time being in front of a live sound console and it just melted me. I remember sitting there thinking, no, I'll be fine. I'll be fine the next week. And then he was chatting to us and he had a guy that worked for him. And I remember he went, I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave Davey for the console. And 
swear to God, this guy was shaking like a fucking leaf on this console. I mean, like shaking. And the guy was watching him. And I remember I sat back and I was like, it's not as much as a good experience as this is. There's no way that I'm ever going to put myself under that amount of pressure. There's, It's not worth it. And the guy was just like up his own arse and he was just like, you know, oh, I basically run all of this from a satellite from a back garden in my house or whatever like that. Ah, like, I'm so important, this, that, that and that. And, you know, he was making comments about me and he was like, oh, I'm just a bit disappointed. Like, I thought they were going to send guys who actually knew what they were doing that had a bit more of experience and stuff. And I'm like, this is this was my fucking experience, you idiot. <laughs> like, this is what it was meant to be. But he thought we were going to have no more and stuff like that. And I kind of, that was the moment where I realized that live sound isn't for me. I think you've, I learned there and then that in live sound, you've got to be a troubleshooter. You've got to be somebody that can work on the fly and is a problem solver. That's not me. Like, I need time to sit and think and go, right, so that goes to there. And the annoying thing is, when I get it first, it's fine. Like, when I get it in this noggin, it's like, there, it's fixed and I can do it, no problem. But because I needed time and he didn't have time, it was just like, okay, this is horrible. And I felt hot. I felt like, I felt like that piece of shit. And then I remember they got us to do the boom. And I met, oh, mate, have you ever done a boom before? Like, actually, like for like TV? Like, and you're standing. No, uh, what, uh, no I've not held Oh, it, mate, no. like, they, I didn't know you had to stand for so long. I was probably standing for like 35 minutes. I've never felt my shoulders want to cave in so much. And I remember the guy said to me, he was like, whatever you do, he went, don't, it's his exact words, man. Don't fucking drop the boom. Don't move. Keep it exactly where you are. Because remember, he said he was like, like, there it is. There, the shotgun's pointing there. That's exactly where you need to be. That's exactly where you need to be. And I stood there frozen for thirty-five minutes. And I remember like listening to this like interview that's going on being recorded. Like, please, please shut the fuck up. Please, please, you need to stop. Please, I'm like, I'm waiting to drop it. Like, I don't care. I, a part of me was just like, no, what? fucking woof, launch it like a javelin and get out of there. I was like, fuck this, I'm done. That was something that, you know, I kind of learned in audio, especially in live sound. If you're not prepared, you're going to get eaten alive. And I understand the stress and the pressure that, that guy was under. He had a job to do. He had to come in. He had to get the show recorded. You know what I mean? It was like they were only there for the night. You had the band in, you had guests in, you had people getting interviewed. It was the very first episode that they'd done in this setup in the college. So I understand it, but... Yeah, it was a moment, you know, that I don't like to repeat. <laughs> I would like to repeat because I melted. Like, I just, like, absolutely melted. And I remember I went home so dejected. And I was, like, made a pact to myself that, you know, I'll I'll never ever work for anybody like that in audio. I need to work with people that have got time to treat me like a human being and, like, have a bit of understanding. However, again, in reflection, I do understand that he was under the cosh. He had a job to do. Again, same with Ed. Me and Ed have had many conversations about his his business. You know what I mean? It's like if Ed couldn't afford to have somebody like me, if he was had a wedding, he got a guy like me. He's like, oh yeah, this guy knows a bit of audio. He's a fucking student, yeah. And he was like, Paul, I need you to do that, 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 that. And then I melted. He'd be like, right, okay, mate, you're no good to me. You need to go. I'm sorry, mate, but like, I've got things I need to do. So yeah, that was my my first experience, and is the main reason why I've always said to this day. I will never do live sound and I genuinely never will. I'll never get into it. I will be a studio-based engineer. I'll do recording in my studio because it's my setup and I know how everything works, but I'll never do live sound, ever. 
Yeah, I was going to say that story sounds like a good prompt for you with your studio to make sure everything you know everything inside yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, totally. Back to front, so when you do get a client in, you can problem solve why a headphone amp isn't getting signal or why you're not getting a mic signal. Yeah, hundred percent. Because yeah. that stuff in front of clients, especially if they're paying, is it is stressful. Again, it will be a stressful environment. You've got to be quick. People used to ask me, "What do you need to be a live sound engineer?" And I just said diplomacy skills and problem-solving skills. Mm. You don't even need to be a good engineer. You, <laughs> if you can do those two things, because, I mean, obviously it helps. That is kind of expected, <laughs> yeah. as is studio engineering. But you've, you're dealing with clients, event planners who are fucking clueless. The, the bride and groom in whatever state they're in, whether it be nervous, micromanaging, or, or really lovely and relaxed. You, you never knew until you got there. And then, yeah, problem-solving what goes wrong because without fail a scenario a sequence of events will unfold that you can you haven't prepared for and even in like the seven years i did it full time every gig there was something hmm. something would unfold something would be muted some the, uh, you know you do silly things like you press the wrong <laughs> channel you mute the wrong channel or you know <laughs> mid best man speech or something like that because the photographers bought you back the wrong microphone or I don't know, some stuff like microphones get lost. I used to color code my microphones and then realize on the stage lights, you couldn't always tell which color was which mic. <laughs> so then I used to get great big stickers saying one, two, one right, to eight okay. on all the mics. And I'd only ever give, you know, the um, MC microphone one and the, you know, females would be on one mic and the males would be on another mic and the band would be on mics five to eight and Horrible. <laughs> so glad I don't do that. My main live sound cock-up was very early on, and you only make this mistake once. You, you can do it in the studio, but it's, it's not as disastrous. Uh, so on most live sound mixes, uh, certainly the Allen and Heath desks that I used to use, they have page layers, kind of like, um, I don't know if the fader port has it. I think the um, SSL 8, 8 channel one, you can flip between different layers of... Um, fader banks and on this one track the band were playing the guitar player had a really dry sound for uh, i think it was don't stop believing and he was about to come up to a solo so i thought i know what i'm gonna put a bit of reverb in and slam some delay in so i've turned the delay up and all of a sudden there's this screaming feedback going all the way through the pa and i'm thinking what the fuck i only turned the delay up on the guitar channel only to find out later, <laughs> having the bat, me had to mute the front of house. The band stopped. The clients come running over saying, what's wrong? The bass player has come up with the second best bit of bullshit I've ever heard, which is, oh, we think there's a problem with the venue power <laughs> causing problem with the PA. The venue manager, and this is a big hotel, the venue managers then come up, gone with the bass player down to the basement to check all the circuits and the breakers for the entire building because this guy has told him that the sound problem we've had is because there's some power issue with the venue. And I'm there thinking, it's not that, but that buys me some time. Ringing my mate thinking, what have I done? And he said, oh yeah, that's simple. You've just been on the wrong layer and you fed the delay into itself. Right, okay. And it was as simple as that, which obviously in a DAW you can easily do by, you know, sending, accidentally sending something to itself yeah, or, yeah, or to, or to a, a, a group or something. And you get a bit of feedback in your speakers, but you just you mute it or whatever, it's dead easy. That's not at someone's wedding with 200 guests and a band on stage um, thinking you're shit. So, Did you yeah, melt? That's in fun. that moment, like, what you're like, 
melting or were you just like keeping it cool on the surface so people were like yeah it's something to do with the power and you're like like scrambling what used to amaze me about my live sound career was everyone would tell me dude you're so calm everyone i don't know how you stay so calm and in my head i am calling everyone a c word <laughs> I fuck, i'm fucking stressed i'm overthinking everything because once you've once you've had a few experiences like that where you, you then have to be, be pro, proactive in problem-solving anything that might happen. And you have all these, you end up, you know, you set up time, gets, set up times get longer, you end up having all these protocols in place and procedures in place. So all these little things that you collect over time through mm. experience can't go wrong again. But as I said, without fail, something else would crop up on every single gig. But then the good engineers just react. And that's, mm. that's what's going to make a good studio engineer, a good live sound engineer. They just react. They know, they know how to get around it. So how, do, how, would you deal, how would you deal with somebody like me then? Like say like you were in that scenario, you'd been booked and then you've agreed, or again, maybe like somebody you know or the, biz, the company you've worked for has agreed to send students down to give you a hand and you had somebody like me that you could see was just like, he's just not experienced enough yet. Like would, how would you deal with... Simple, right. not n- simple. Not a chance in hell would I get myself in that situation right, in the okay. first place. Okay. I never worked with my business with people I didn't know. Okay, good point. And there were a few people I tried uh, upon recommendations and then I, I got it down to basically using two people. Right, okay. And one guy, because he totally understood the job. This guy had the most amount of intuition I've ever met. So if I was gaffer taping cables down on one side of the stage, he would get the other roll of gaff tape, go around the other side of the stage and do the identical thing unprompted. That guy was great. And then there was another guy who learned all the ropes. But people who were looking at me, I'd be like, right, can you plug that subwoofer into the desk? And they're looking at you like, uh, what? It's like, dude, fuck off my job. I don't have time for you. Like, if, if, you, if you don't know, even if I was giving them the cable from the desk and it's like, oh, which one does it go into? Well, they've only got one end. On the, on the XLR yeah. cable, and there's only an input and an output on the sub, so figure out which one it fucking goes in. It's like, I, I yeah. And that, ladies and gentlemen, I couldn't handle that. It wouldn't work with Ed Thorne, because you would just see Ed fucking, <laughs> fucking, which one's it going? And I'm like, oh, I don't fucking know. And I'm like... Oh. No, no, but no, but th- 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 this is the thing. Th- this, those are the conversations that are going on in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But on the exterior, I'm like, oh, it's okay, just put it in the one on the left. You know, I, that's what's going ah, on in my head. Yeah, I am okay. effing and blinding, hating everything. But then... I, my 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 demeanor on the, on the surface would actually be very calm right. and very patient within reason. <laughs> I I did snap at my housemate once on a gig, and uh, he doesn't let me forget that. And yeah, I, I've been short with one or two event planners, but they deserve it. So but, I mean, besides you know radio microphones and RF nightmares. Oh my God, never do gigs next to the docks or by the river. Absolute RF clusterfuck. Always use wired mics. But other, I've got some uh, musician stressful situations uh, besides like, you know, stage feedback, uh, in-ear pack batteries dying uh, mid-song and all that. Just, you know, dealing with things like singers losing their temper. I've seen singers punch microphone stands off stage. I've seen a singer <laughs> punch a monitor. I was on stage when a musician, bear in mind, <laughs> I don't speak to these people anymore. One musician called the sound man a see you next Tuesday, right. to which I was so embarrassed 
because I was doing sound at that point and I was thinking, how would I have reacted? Oh yeah, mute. He's not getting a microphone. You know, he's, and this is the lead singer and the guitarist in the band. And I, I was just thinking, as a sound engineer, what would I do? Yeah, cool. Mute, guitar, mute, vocals, lock desk, fuck off and go to the bar. <laughs> Deal with it when there's an apology. Maybe that's not the most professional approach, but in front of people calling, doing that? Yeah. No, that's the most unprofessional thing I've ever seen. People pushing people off stage, I kind of get that. You get stage invasions at gigs. <laughs> people getting booted off, <laughs> you know, nose first with someone's boot. Um, I had a musician walk off stage once. That was embarrassing. Again, because they couldn't tolerate the, the, the incompetence of the sound engineer on the night. I can sympathize with that. Those are some stressful performance ones. Uh, I fell off my drum stool once. Um, <laughs> That's, oh, we, it's on a video. We need, to get, we need to get shit like that. <laughs> no, no, this must have been 2009 or something, I think, roughly then, maybe 2010. And I was down in Brighton at Brighton Walkabout playing with a covers band. And I was in my, you know, 23, 24-year-old flashy stage, trying to be cool, trying to get attention from girls. And um, stood up on the drum stool for the big ending. And the plan was to jump off onto the bass drum pedal and hit the cymbals. And it had all looked absolutely smoking like Tommy Lee himself. However, (laughs) stood up on the stool stacked it sideways, <laughs> smashed the whole kit over, rolling off into the audience in front of me and looked like a complete twat. How old were you at that point? <laughs> at 23 or 24. Right, so it wasn't like, it wasn't like a last year. <laughs> Still try, trying to relive your younger years. <laughs> All right, so let's bring this back to mixing. Uh, what about studio nightmares or problems or embarrassing moments? Uh, I don't know if it was embarrassing because... I was very fortunate that I had lecturers on hand to kind of help me out. But I remember when I did my very first recording in a studio setup. Now, the the college that I was at, again, amazing college. I'm actually waiting to go back um, sometime this year because we're going to maybe film some content because they asked me back. They, ba- they basically said, get a band in and then we'll get them like maybe an EP or however long we could, we've got and we can get them recorded. So I got a band in called uh, We Came From Wolves. Uh, they're a great band. I remember I had everything in my head sorted. I'm going to, I'm going to mark the guitars lot of this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I had all these grand plans in my head. And then I remember when they came in, I just felt the fucking nerves. And I was like, and they had like, they were like all the, all the amps, all the fucking bass heads and shit. And I'm like, all the, all the instruments and they're coming in. And I'm just like, okay, this is the first session I've ever had on my own to run. That's what they used to do. They go like, there's the Avid console. There's all the fucking preamps. There's all the mics. And tell me what you need. So like I had the U87s and stuff like that. I remember just kind of feeling that fear that I had when I was doing like the previous uh, live gig. And I was like, right, okay, don't fuck this up. Don't fuck this up. Don't fuck this up. And then I, I was making sure that again, even just things where I had all of the XLRs um, into the right channel. So again, and, I, and it was the very first time I had to sit back and think, right, so right, where's kick, where's snare and having to remember all that and then work that on the console and then have the band and, and then like I remember the, it was the very first time I had to mic an entire drum kit on my own and I remember I couldn't I, I think I, I spent lots of time getting the snare right and I was trying to get the kick right and I over I overanalyzed it and before I knew it my lecturer was just in my ear and he was like Paul, Paul come on we need to quicken up we need to quicken up and thankfully he kind of just seen me struggling they were honestly great lecturers and he just kind of then started to pick things up and he was like, Paul, that goes there. 
And you just, again, like what you said at the gig, intuition. But that's what they're there for. They're there to look after you. He ma- and that comes with experience. Yeah. You know, you, you don't get that. I wasn't that, you know, as good as I was at the end on my first gig. I mean, it took me a long time. Yeah, and, and I remember, I think there was a few issues and it was like, I was just routing things. And again, it was, again, it's, it's funny when you're on the console mixing on your own, you're like, yeah, this is fucking easy. But when you've got a band in and you're on the clock, that pressure can hit you very quick. And if you run into an issue, depending on how um, your brain deals with pressure, you could you could crumble. Now, thankfully, I had my lectures in there. But there was a few things that I remember I was going to try and they weren't working. And I remember I tried a three-pronged mic thing on the guitars because I wanted to have a mic at the, at the rear and two mics at the front. And I was going to flip the phase and then I was like, oh, wait, hold on. If I've got two at the front and then I've got that at the rear, then it was a phase nightmare, so I had to change it. Then I remember I, I they, they weren't liking the sound of the U87 up close to the to the grill, so I brought the U87 back until it sounded good, and it was just it was a lot of experimentation, and it ended up sounding really good. But I remember sitting back thinking, if my lecturer wasn't here, we weren't getting this recording done because I could feel myself flapping, I could feel the pressure getting to me. And again, you've got there's nothing there's nothing worse when you've got like artists that have like took the day off or whatever to come and record with you and you know they're waiting they're just like you know they're waiting well, ready to go ready to go let's see if we can get two songs three songs and, and I think we got three songs done because once we were set up it was pretty good and they were really well rehearsed drums done then bass done then guitars then vocals but it was it was a massive like insight to me on how much pressure there is I mean live sounds one thing Studio is a little bit better because you can just do another take and you can leave them waiting and just fix in a few things. But, you know, when you're on the clock, it's very, very stressful. And again, I had to make a decision on what I wanted to do because I really wanted to be a recording engineer less than a mixing engineer. And so I was like, like live sounds out. And then I remember sitting back thinking, it's a lot of pressure, man. And I, and I didn't like the feeling of kind of needing kind of uh, my hand held throughout the the whole thing. And I just kind of realized in myself that like I'm a flapper and unless I've got everything fully in my control and I run into problems, I can get panicked really quick. So yeah, it was, we got it done and remember they came out really well and I'd done the mixes. Unfortunately, I didn't get the mixes because I wasn't that good at mixing at the time. So they've went and found somebody else and they done the mixes and it was a guy called Bruce Rintel that did it from Glasgow and we went to the EP night in Glasgow and stuff and yeah, it was it was a good it was a good experience going to the EP night because I knew I'd record it and I had my name on the back of the EP and stuff. But it was definitely uh, like the live gig, a moment of holy shit! These guys that have got experience make it look like a walk in the park, and I'm going to need years and years and years of experience to get to that level of being like, right, okay, coming, what are we doing? Die drums, bye, what are you do? Accordion, yeah, fuck it, yeah, let's get up that mark, yeah, blah blah blah. And it's all, and I was like, right, okay, I'm going to need years and years. And if I want to be a live, if I want to be a recording engineer, I'm going to have to get in a studio and I'm going to have to like be somebody's intern or something like that. And that was what took me to become a mixing engineer because I realized that when it mixing, you don't have the same pressures. I'd rather work on my own in my own windowless yeah, box. <laughs> I don't have people putting pressure on me. I don't have issues that can go awry. And if there is issues going on, like if there's issues, then I don't have anybody behind me and I could fix them. And I do, and I didn't have an autism diagnosis at that point, and 
You know what I mean? I just think, looking back, it was obvious. If you would have seen me, like, I used to come in on my day off. Now, I live, I'm a 45 minute, I was a 45 minute drive from my city to the college. I used to come in on my days off just to sit with the console in another room they had with the KRKs and just sit and mix. I would sit there in like six hours on my own and they'd come in and check on me and be like, Paul, you all right? And I'd be like, yeah, 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 yes, fine, yeah, fine. Like I would just sit there and zone in. So yeah. And knowing you, in that six hours, you won't have had a sip of water no. or anything to eat or even been to the toilet <laughs> <No>. knowing you. <laughs> six hours, like straight. Um, but you know, it's those experiences that make you who you are and it, and it defined the journey that I ended up going A down. dehydrated, wilting mess. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Tell us about it. But I'm happier <laughs> and I get better results. But it's funny because I've got the studio and I've got the live room across there. But I, I don't know, I have more experience now. Like I, it's... Because it's my setup, I know everything's routed. I know every, like I know what, what ADAT's going to what. I've got it routed in console. I know what's going through the SPA. I know what's going through the 1073. I know my analog chain. I know how it works. I know the routing. If there's an issue, I know how to fix it, kind of like that. So when I've got this kind of documentary happening this year and I've got some potential big artists coming in, I don't have the same fear because I'm in control. Where when I was at college, it was like, the console seemed like, oh my god, like this is fucking all these tracks and all these what, cables. What was and... it? Because some of some of the big consoles, I, I like it's a different language to live sound desks. Mm. The theory's the same, but everything's laid out a bit differently. So I would need a couple of hours on a on a proper desk it, to get my head. It was an avid, and was... probably a day if I was going to be quick with a band in wanting things rooted in different places. It was the avid digi design desk because the whole college was sponsored by avid. It still is. And I know what you have to make those experiences, and it's the same whether it's live sound recording or mixing. And again, having a few experiences and mixing, where you're like, "Oh my god, that was embarrassing." That's why we ask every guest that we've got on, name us a humbling moment because there's definitely going to yeah. be a ton. And th- what makes them as good as they are is the mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. There's nobody that's perfect. If you don't have an in-house mastering engineer like we're fortunate enough to have with Marcel at Actu Make with the working audio tools, DistroKid have you covered. For just $99 a year, you can buy unlimited mastering for all of your tracks in tandem with unlimited releases via DistroKid. Mixair from DistroKid uses AI technology to measure the EQ and the dynamics of your track and then present you with numerous options to tweak and customize your master. You can flip between the original and the generic mastered option. Blame it on the whiskey. Blame it on the bad weed. So instantly we can hear that's making the track louder and it's also slightly flattening the EQ, bringing in a little bit more of the mid-range and of course the top end. We can adjust the intensity, which is how much compression and limiting is being applied to the track. Blame it on the only thing you've ever seen Run and tell your mother Blame it on your brother I think somewhere in the middle works for this track. And the EQ options are self-explanatory. We can make the track effectively duller or brighter.
Download your mastered track and release it as easily as you do all of your other unlimited uploads. Get 30% off your DistroKid subscription using the Working Audio Tools VIP link below. Let's think about more mixing stuff, Ed. That's probably more recent. Well, just before that, I think the experience thing applies everywhere in terms of I know I have confidence as a drummer. And it even happened at the weekend. Last minute call for a gig on Saturday. I haven't touched my kit in a month. Yeah. Because I've been lazy since my last gig and I thought, well, I don't have a gig for a few weeks. I'll just save my ears and work in the studio. But I knew I could turn up that night, warm up a bit and play and it'd be a good gig and everyone was happy and it was fine. That's just confidence through loads of experience. And even my worst, even me on a bad day is not to be full of myself, but it's it's pretty good, really. Yeah. And same with live sound on a bad day, bad room. Bad musicians, I can get it in the ballpark, it's fine. I was pretty confident with it. With the studio stuff, I know with optimal recordings, and I'm using my James Dupree, another love <laughs> song mix that. <laughs> uh, that I put on my YouTube channel, finally, as my kind of benchmark of, cool, I can achieve that when there's optimal circumstances. When you get some of the ropier stuff, that is when I then struggle and that's where my probably lack of experience comes in in that when you when you when you're given shit audio to deal with you know spike can just be like yeah cool i know exactly what that needs you know he'll just nail it it's having that experience over a couple of years or so more maybe not that long but general experience will help me be able to take those things and to either make the mix sound great or do the smart thing and turn the project down in the first place <laughs> which in one or two yeah. instances so far I should have done we, and we've been told that by a few people stressful. already like don't be afraid to turn down like certain gigs if you know you're not going to be able to like make it turn out well then you're maybe not the right engineer for them and just accept that yeah now in this stage where I'm still building a client network starting to build a client network I should say I want to take on anything I can even if it's in genres that I'm not necessarily uh, fluent at I'd definitely say I'm a rock pop indie country mix engineer versus hip hop I haven't even done a hip hop track uh, dance music for example I think I've failed at that on a couple of occasions already uh, but I've tried everything now that's where you get your experience I think very much like learning an instrument if you want to be a rock drummer or guitar player learn jazz because it'll be good for your theory coordination and harmony you might not necessarily use it, but it will make you a better musician. It will develop your ear. It will develop your technique in ways that will be applicable to your main job. I guess it's the same with mixing. If you, if you know how to deal with 808s and hip-hop sub-low end, mixing kick and bass on a country track is not going to be a problem. Uh, in terms of failures so far, other than auditioning for mixers and not getting them, but then being in the fortunate position of been sent the mix by the professional guy uh, and hearing what you've done differently that's been I've had that a couple of times with a client well potential client <laughs> he wasn't a client he, didn't pay me. <laughs> he went for the other guy but I wasn't far off yeah. but there were a couple of things I overlooked so talking of failures I actually recorded drums for the guy and one or two of the quick double bass patterns kind of things yeah. were slightly sloppy now I sent him the files and he put it all together and sent them back to mix with everything else so I was assuming there'd be a certain amount of production and editing which he would have done one could argue I could have sent him perfectly edited 
drum files, but he didn't ask for it. I'd quantized them enough so that it sounded good. But what I should have done in, in the mix was taken every little kind of kick drum rough and basically taken the best one and then copied and pasted it in every instance it was used because it was pretty consistent with the, the crashes and the ride and the snare pattern. And then from that, triggered it so they were really even. I did end up triggering it, but sometimes they were just a little bit fluffed. And what the guy did, and this was the main difference between my mix and his mix, was he'd gone and sampled the snare and kick to the point where they were robotic. It was very much a slash production where every, that LA sound where everything is so ridiculously consistent, it's just fake. And he'd, he, he liked that sound and he'd gone for it, whereas I, I was a bit more of a an organic mixer. Maybe a little bit of my drumming influenced that mix because I had, had the sound of the kit in the room and I wanted that to come through with samples that I did put on, but they weren't as brutally replaced. They were blended in. So again, getting to know what the client wants, and I annoyingly I had a gut feeling that they wanted exactly that, and I didn't do that because I thought he would get back to me before going to the other guy and saying, oh, hey, man, can you just tighten up this and maybe we could work on this? But he didn't. He went straight to the other guy and used him. So should have followed my gut instinct. Big lesson there. Uh, And I failed because I didn't go to the nth degree of detail, which I should have done and knew I should have done before I submitted the mix. Right, I've got another story. And this one was actually about my first paid gig. So I'd done college, I'd done uni. And long story short, I'm a tight arse. When we got married... I was looking for like obviously like certain things on a budget and we met a harpist and I told her that I was obviously like starting up a recording business and that's what I was planning to do as soon as I left uni. The tagline, TSM Studio, and my tagline was, you choose the place, we record the spice and it was super cheesy. It's not awful, it's not awful, <laughs> I'm not sure Coca-Cola would go for it. Yeah, um, so like, I, had, I, had, I bought a lot of mics and had a Mackie interface and stuff and that was the plan and what's funny now looking back was I would never do this now but... I agreed to record her if she played for free at my wedding. So we did that. It was beautiful. And then it came to the recording day. And I remember I came up with my bag. I had my mic. I had like, um, and I, all, it was like, I only need one mic. I was going to do it just with one mic. So I was like, right. I didn't even know how to record harp. So I was Googling fucking <laughs> how to record harp and like certain. Fucking... Probably needed more than one mic. Yeah, I know. I was me being me. So I was like, fuck it. I was like, no. So I just brought one mic my laptop and this market dynamic and and this um (laughs) no it was it was at it was the audio technica it was a condenser it was like the at 2050 um no yeah it was at 2050 and (laughs) what i haven't told you is it was i had a hooky copy of pro tools remember when i said i was tight so i had a and what used to happen with this hooky copy of pro tools was that it used to crash quite a lot um so whilst we were recording Pro Tools was just having a bit of a meltdown and it started to crash. So I had to make up excuses like, oh, sorry, there was a bit of a technical difficulty there. And it was like, oh, fuck. Oh, shit, this this is like crashed. So it, it probably just looked like, hmm, yeah, what's yeah, fix this? Where I'm like restarting the fucking whole computer, trying to relaunch Pro Tools. Oh, no. And then be like, <clears throat> oh, I know what, were you happy with that? No, I wasn't sure. No, maybe we should just do another take. I think... Uh, I think you can maybe oh, do that and no. I had to do all this shit and mate what in your mind thinking I'm going to comp this later for yeah, her and... so uh, luckily I got everything in one take but I mean the sweat that was pouring off my back 
when I was like, there's one mic, had it in a good position that I liked, and she and I was like listening to it, and I had the head. I remember I had a cheap Behringer like headphone amp thing, <laughs> just so we could both listen to stuff, and it was just a shambles. It was so unprofessional, and I just kind of got to a point where. I, th- I remember I looked back at it and I was like, okay, I've got the recordings. I've managed to get away with it with like just through the skin of my teeth. But it's something I would never do again. Like like the fact that I thought I could get away with like a hooky copy of Pro Tools, like one mic and genuinely like my professionalism was on the line there. And it wasn't even, I suppose, a first paid gig, but like it was kind of, you know, still a transactional thing. She played at my wedding and I had done her I think it was a Christmas album or it was a Scottish album or something like that. But what I will say is, you know, take that as a lesson from me. Don't go cheap and always remember that you are your own business. And like, if she would have known that this was crashing all the time and that I had a hooky copy of Pro Tools, she would have been like, this guy's an absolute fucking chancer. He's not professional. Like, who does he think he is to come up with everything in a bag with a mic stand? Uh, had like a bag and a mic stand and that was me. This reminds me when I used to record live gigs and I would have a similar thing with uh, Logic and I learned that my computer, the SQ, Alan and Heath SQ desk I used to have used to do 96K and the first couple of times I tried recording 96K on my 2015 Mac, never going to happen. Mm. Downsampled to 48 and then it was fine but trying to record 24 tracks, that model of Mac had a, an overheating issue and in the firm or the software there was a kernel protocol whereby if the temperature sensor went above a certain point it would start limiting the resources on the mac thinking it was helping you out to keep the computer cool but limiting the resources only bottlenecked everything and <laughs> yeah. made everything work harder <laughs> so the macs would overheat and then they would crash and i learned this i think i learned this in the studio yeah, and then when I was live, it, it, I had cooling trays. But yeah, I, I learned that 96 wasn't going to happen live anyway. Still had the same problem. But it's just stuff like that. Like you have, you buy a, a good computer. You know, this, that was a top of the range Mac in 2015. Mm. And then to find out there's something that you would never, you were never going to know until you had a problem and then Googled it. Yep. You were never going to know on a job <laughs> that the Mac would bottleneck itself in an effort to keep cool. Yeah, so you get shafted and then you learn the hard way. Things like that were were stressful. Yeah, no, it's IT, man. That's the one thing I've learned is that see if you're going to invest, and especially if you're working with artists, make sure that you've got a good system, man. Like sometimes the Mac gives me, and not the Mac, the uh, the Apollo gives me fear because I know Windows, basically, for anybody that doesn't know, Universal Audio and Windows don't always play ball. And it doesn't play ball with me. And there's been the odd time where no I, comment from yeah, me, no, UA fanboy, UA fanboy <laughs> on a Mac, um, and a Mac boy. Yeah. <laughs> but um, there's sometimes where, on occasion, I just can't get it started. Like I just cannot get like I'll do a hard crash, and I just can't get the fucking computer started. And those times have panicked me. It's not happened in a long, long, long time. And I, and I'm I'm half thinking about maybe getting rid of the Apollo. But then I do like the DSP, so I, I probably won't. But yeah, don't cheap out and don't have experiences like mine where, where like genuinely you've went there, somebody's taken time. Like she was, she worked in, um, it was a, a school for um, for disabled kids. And like she, I remember she'd just finished and she took time 
like to make sure that right okay that it's going to be free and don't worry I've told the cleaners not to come down this way tonight so I was like after like I think it was like after six or something so like I had to make sure that this was done and thankfully she didn't know and um, she really liked the mixes that I did for them because I went daft with reverbs and stuff and made them sound like really big so I got a Christmas album out of it but when I did the Christmas album I bought um, a full license of Pro Tools I didn't that was the very last time I was ever had anything no you hadn't you got the free 30 day trial of the official <laughs> version so the second EP you did for her was that your first paid gig yeah so that was a Christmas album and we agreed a price because she really liked December the 1st and I didn't buy I actually went out and bought a, a proper version of Pro Tools I asked my dad for a loan of money and uh, I think it was like 150 quid or something I can't remember what it was but I bought it and yeah, that was me and I didn't have any issues. And the second time it ran way smoother and I was just able to record and yeah, I got away with it. But just like, take my advice. Are you ready, Ed? Are you ready? Oh, okay. So Paul's most embarrassing moment sponsored by DistroKid. I was playing a live gig and it was the second live gig that we ever had. And we were all pumped for it. And I had my dad and I had my mum there. And I remember I had a few of her pals as well. So we were in halfway through the set and it comes to a solo and I'm like, I don't know what I did, but the strap had like kind of snapped or it just came off. So I managed to catch it in midair and I was soloing like that, just like caught it and I was managing it. And I was like, fucking, that actually looks quite cool how I've managed it. However, my mum, in all of her wisdom, genuinely thought there's like oh shit like he's struggling on stage my mum took it and I I was in the middle of a fucking (laughs) rock I mean a rock solo my (laughs) mum took it upon herself to come onto the stage to try and get the strap back on didn't know what the fuck she was doing thought the fucking it had something to do with the tuning pegs started fucking detuning and my guitar whilst (gasps) I was in fucking middle of a solo (laughs) And I was like, and I remember going, mum, mum, fuck off, mum, fuck off, fuck off. And she just, it just went like that. I just went off the stage. So she left me. <laughs> I've got a guitar that I'm holding with no strap and fucking completely out of fucking tune. And, and I remember just like sitting there, the song ended. And I remember just like, oh my God. And I remember the rest of them are like fucking, they're like, oh my God, mortified. And then I can't remember what I said. And I remember, I, I think I said something like, and that's how you play a guitar solo without a strap or something like that. And then I remember I tuned it up, fixed it. And then a guy, a promoter that was in Dundee, he was there that night. And I remember he came to us at the end of the gig. And he was like, he was a Canadian guy called Dave. And he just came right to me. He was like, you know what, guys? Yeah, it was a decent gig. But man, your mom coming on stage, dude, that was fucking lame. And I just was like, <laughs> and I remember. You know what your mom did there, don't oh, you? Oh, mate. Like, you know what your mom did there, don't you? What? She fucked you with your strap on. <laughs> and know what? That's how we're going to end this fucking podcast. Know what? That's the fucking best Hang he's on, ever. I've got another one. Oh, what have you I've, got? I've, I've got another one. Uh, regarding my parents right. at a gig uh, Sheffield Walk about where well Sheffield where I'm from my parents came down halfway through one of the sets girl walks on stage past the bouncer behind me and she's got a rather ample bust pulls off her top 
rubs herself on the back of my head. I'm there like 23, 24, thinking this is the best thing ever. The most, but slightly blushing because my, my, my dad's like, get in there, lad. My mum's a bit like, ooh, 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 ooh. I, d- I didn't know these kind of things happened at Edward's workplace. Uh, anyway, the bouncer came on and kicked her out. Whereas I thought, okay, that's a fun night. I don't need to stay at my parents' house tonight. That didn't materialise. And on that blonde bombshell. Yeah, that must have been emotional. That note. must have been emotional that night. <laughs> this is the kind of episode produced like a pro would take down yes, and uh, would, edit yeah. and not, not allow us to, to publish. Hence, we're doing it ourselves. <laughs> the twats unfiltered. Yes, but there, there you have it, right? We just thought we'd kind of shake it up a little bit and we'd kind of talk. I just have a little bit of fun and a little bit of humour and kind of talk about, you know, our past experiences. But the most important thing is that this is a community. So please... Share your stories down below. Make them the worst, honestly. Don't be shy. Uh, even like, it doesn't matter how embarrassing or how crass or how rude it is, put it down in the comments below and we could all laugh at you as much as you laughed at me. Because <laughs> you know what? We've all been there. It's okay to share um, your embarrassing moments because it's what make you at the end of the day. It's what's going to turn you in, uh, hopefully to professionals, hopefully to whether it be recording engineer, mixing engineer, mastering engineer, live sound engineer. You gotta have a bit of fuck. Up. I mean, there's nothing professional about any of the stories we've given out tonight. <laughs> no, but we'd like to think that we've learned from that, Edwards, wouldn't we? We'd like to <laughs> we'd like to think that we've we've turned a corner. Paul's not using hooky copies of Pro Tools. He's not even on Pro Tools anymore. I've got this big massive studio, I've got a Dolby Atmos room. It has been emotional, definitely for me, remembering <laughs> my mum coming on stage. Uh, I love my mum, but um, probably the probably the last time I told my mum to fuck off. <laughs> to be honest, I never think I've told my mum to fuck off ever again. Don't think I'd be allowed to. I put some feelers out to see if we could get Spike Stent on the podcast yesterday with uh, MSM, but it's uh, no chance. Yeah, he wasn't optimistic, <laughs> no. and I'm not going to ask him to ask him because that might be an abuse. Yeah. His content, his relationship with him, but, but know what? So I'm, we will see. My my goal is Bob Clearmountain. If we get him on, I feel like we'll we'll have completed the podcast. I would say so. Yeah. Okay, let's get Jason Joshua, Bob Clearmountain on, we'll, and then from there we'll just we'll just get anybody who we want. Right, we're waffling, Ed. Let's episode. finish it. Come on, they're all they're probably already. Yeah, we're always off. waffling. They're all, right, it's been emotional. Right. Bye. <laughs>